Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. I must, I must have an old version that I did. Anyway, um, so there's no uh, quiz today because I don't have one available. We'll do it next time. Um, yeah, we'll include the stuff too with the help. I mean, yeah. Um, also, uh, the next homework assignment is posted at uh, people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash 3256. I announced it last night on Twitter, if you're following me on Twitter. Um, Right, so that's that. So today, um, I want to get at sort of, there's sort of two building blocks of more complicated designs. And the first one is what we just talked about, which is the uh, sort of multi-factor, but all between subject designs. The other one is the within, within, uh, within subjects designs, also called uh, repeated magic. So let's say you're interested in learning or forgetting, so, which is sort of what most of my research is on. Um, independent groups won't do here. I guess you could use independent groups, right? So you could have, and I used that as an example the other day, uh, uh, people have five-minute retention intervals or one-hour retention intervals and a 24-hour retention interval. You could do that with all different groups, but I am actually interested in how within a person or a, a, some animal, how memory declines over time. Uh, you know, I want, to, I want to get what's called a forgetting curve. And I'm not really going to get that if I have independent groups, am I? Right? I mean, it could be done, but it, I don't think it answers the question very nicely. I want to look at how within each individual uh, performance decline. So what you do is you test the same people over and over again. So that's what you're going to do. You test the same people over and over again. Oh, by the way, I should also say, if you didn't get the email, there's the SPSS tutorial thingy, Bob. Uh, there was an email sent. It's tomorrow at 2. Uh, I, I'd have to look at the email again. Check your email. But it's got the, uh, the room number. I can't remember which computer lab it is. It's one of them. That's, that's all I got. So you want to look at change over time. In fact, Typically, this is the reason you would ever do uh, uh, what we're calling repeated measure. So you get something like this. There's your retention rule, five minute, one hour, 24 hours, and it's the same group. Group one, group one, group one. So if you were to sort of draw up a design, it looks like this. Right? So you got the same folks tested three times. This is a very typical design that's used in, in, in uh, cognitive psychology. But if you were looking at growth in, 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 in plants, if you were looking at uh, development, developmental stuff of any sort, right? So let's say you're looking at how uh, uh, learning in, in, in kids over time, you, you've got to use something like this. There's a problem here, a potential problem. Clearly, it is an unsolvable or we just stop right now. Observations are now no longer I've been harping on there's one by a thing you can never violate, and that's the independence of observations. Except that now they're the individual observations of each person are completely dependent on each other. 
When I test Kayla at five minutes, I'm also, when I test her at one hour, well, knowing her score at five minutes actually will give me a very good indication of her score at one hour because it's her still. Right? But I keep saying it's kind of like, I always think there's, there's, there's no cheating on the uh, assumption. Nobody looked off anybody else's paper. Independent of the observations. The, the observations are now, within each person, are not independent. In fact, they are exactly the opposite of independent. They are dependent. <coughs> well, why don't we just put that in the model then? That's what we'll do. That'll learn them. This model thinks it's gonna it's gonna stop us from doing an alley. No, damn, we world, yeah. I don't know what I was doing there. I thought I had a whole thing, but I got I got nothing. I don't write these jokes in advance, which obvious most of the time. Um, sometimes I think I have something and I, I had nothing. The observations are not independent. Well, we'll just put that in the model. The model that looks like this. That's equal to plus how plus pi. Uh, pi, pi for people. Well, no tau for treatment, epsilon for error. There actually is a reason for the individual group letters. Tau pi, you ever had the tau pi? Pretty good with blue whipped cream. Thank you. Um, so any score equals the grand mean, just like every other model, equals the grand mean plus the treatment effect plus error, and then our exciting new friend, the effect of subject. Subjects or experimental units. That's why we can call first degree So it's any score equals the grand mean plus treatment effect plus the effect of subjects plus error. X equal to plus tau plus pi plus epsilon. Okay? This is what our model looks like now. Questions so far? This makes sense? You see what's, ha what's happened here? Nothing to be scared of? Okay. So our design looks something like this. I've now just expanded group one to be subject one, subject two, subject three, and subject four. So we've decreased error, but we've paid for it in lots of degree three. How have we decreased error? Well, if you look at the, we could have analyzed that, by the way, like this. Right? We could have said it equals this, plus tau plus epsilon. We would have violated the assumption because the, the effect of subjects isn't in there, but it would work. The math wouldn't care. Now what we've done is we've said this, tau plus pi plus epsilon. That term's the same, that term's the same, these aren't going to change, right? Where's the pi going to come from? It's going to come from error. Right? We're taking error back. This is what we're doing. There is error due to the fact that I've tested Janet three times. Right? It's with this model, it's unexplained variance. The fact that I have a level of humanness called Janet. It's one of my variables. I haven't taken that out. It's not in the model. It's so where it's going to go. It can only go to epsilon. It can only go to error. So error here, with the sort of standard one-way ENOVA model, is actually bigger 
the error in this bottle. Because what we've done is we've taken this, we've taken this, and we've broken it down into that and that. Does that make sense? So there's the logic of why you do this. Here people we violate assumptions, what happens? The error gets big. Well, the next thing is, and we've actually violated the independent causation assumption here. If we use this, this approach, well, why don't we just put that effect in? Take this, and just make it smaller for its effect. Now, we're always dividing by whatever we do analysis of variance. We divide by what's called an error term. And typically, it is something to do with epsilon. And remember, whenever we break down when we uh, partition the degrees of freedom in sums of squares. Sums of squares go one way and the degrees of freedom come with it. This is going to have a certain number of degrees of freedom, this error. Now that we split it up, some degrees of freedom have to go over here. So that the effect is going to decrease. Right? The subject effect. And some stay here. So if someone's left with this, this just got smaller. The, the error term itself got so smaller, uh, the error variance, but so did what you divide by, the number of degrees of freedom. And if you pull out a stats book, if you have one on you, you will see that the, sm the smaller the degrees of freedom, the bigger the critical left value. In other words, the bigger the value you have to exceed to find significance. So we pick an error smaller, which is good, because we're going to take a number and divide it by another number, take the bottom part, the denominator, yeah, numerator, denominator. We take the denominator for a fraction, make it smaller, makes that number bigger. But we also have to now get a bigger number to find significance, because we lost degrees of freedom. We have paid a price in degrees of freedom. Did that make sense? It follows? Good. Good. Okay. By the way, if my outline is wrong, the one I have, when, when's the test? Okay, Thursday. Okay, good. That's fine. No worries. We'll do some review Tuesday. Yeah, we'll do some review. There's no need to do any more learning. Well, no, I, we're sort of roughly where I want to be, so we're okay. Well, this is kind of what I'm talking about. In our example that we have here with three retention intervals and four subjects, <clears throat> if we analyzed it in the classic way with a one-way analysis of variance, we get a retention interval effect. We have three levels of retention interval. We subtract one lost a degree of freedom for fixing a mean, so we have two degrees of freedom. Our total degrees of freedom is 11, because there's 12 observations. Error has nine degrees of freedom. With retention interval here, degrees of freedom is two still. It's exactly the same. So what I'm saying, this is going to be the same value. The mean square for retention interval will be exactly the same. The total is exactly the same. There is a finite amount of variance in any design. Now that we've taken subjects, there are four subjects, 
calculated by mean square, which we're going to make some notes of these. We're going to have three. We have three degrees of freedom for subjects, so now what we have left over is six. So this is actually going to be the critical value that we're going to look up. Before it was two and nine. Does anybody have their book on it? So two and nine, excuse me, two and nine degrees of freedom, critical value is 4.26. So we have to get a value bigger than 4.26 for this kind of analysis to say there's a significant effect on the transfer. For two and six degrees of freedom, we're going to have to exceed 5.99. So we've now got a value. We've now got a value. We're going to get a value here when we take this. Divided by error, so it means for retention divided by error either way. But now we've got to exceed a bigger number. We've made this number here smaller. Mean squared error is going to be smaller. It has to be. But is it smaller enough to make the fact to make it so we <clears throat> it's okay to exceed a bigger number to find significance? That's the question. The answer is almost always. As I said, any design has a finite amount of variation and a finite number of degrees of freedom. We partition the degrees of freedom and variation just a little bit more. That's what I'm doing here. Just a bit more than we did before. Specifically, we partitioned error into two smaller things. Something that we can now account for. We can now say, oh, effective subjects and other stuff we don't know what it is. Mean squared for retention intervals, or we can call it mean squared treatment if you want to be more general, would be exactly the same for both analyses. Okay. And there's a finite amount of variation in any batch of numbers, the numbers that we're looking at. So the, is the reduction in mean square worth the loss of degrees of freedom for error? Almost always, yes, as I said. It would have to be a pretty cooked up example to be no. Right? It would have to be something that I would do. Uh, in fact, the, the assignment coming up actually has an example. I'm not going to tell you what happens, but it's a cooked up example, and I, I have you design it and analyze it both ways. I have you analyze it as repeated measures, and I have you analyze it as a um, one way or another. So the question on it is was the loss of the What usually happens, actually, if you do this, is you very often rather you won't find significance with a regular one-way model when you do repeated measures. And if you are allowed to, because it's really repeated measures, you actually find significance all of a sudden. Okay. So there's technically, technically, frankly, if you did this and it worked, it wouldn't be horribly wrong to 
this is bad. Now, I want you to think about something, a little thought experiment. Is it realistic to think that this is actually true? That any score is actually a linear combination of the grand mean plus treatment plus effect of subjects plus error? Is that a realistic thing to think? Because look at that. That says that whatever the grand mean is for memory equals whatever the effect of your plus the effect of being knowing, plus something you can't control. And then it says any score equals the grand mean, plus the effect of the treatment group you're in, plus the fact that you might, plus error. Any score equals the grand mean, plus treatment effect, plus random, plus error. So, and remember what those things are. The more random than Mike's Moline, that all starts down, first of all. So there's something weird going on there. But I'll sit over here and I find it creepy. I can just name it block. I didn't have my phone closing this morning. I apologize. I'm going to find a joke for those of you scoring at home. Okay. Remember what these are? Remember when we broke down alpha and beta tables? A, B, you know? A is having an effect of plus one, minus one. So that says there's a, whatever it was, whatever group you guys were in, raises your score by one, I don't know. Malin, being Malin raises your score by one, being Miranda uh, raises your score by two, and being Mike like, compresses your score, let's see, so we got to keep the magnitude to zero, by three. Is that really a realistic thing to say? If only the world were that simple. Shouldn't it be the case that memory affects different people in different ways? Like the pick variable affects different people in different ways? Shouldn't it be the case that at five minutes it affects Mike one way, but then it affects him differently at, at one hour and really differently at 24 hours or something? And then, so let's say, let's say Mike's memory drops off dramatically. 24 hours is right a chance. And let's say that Miranda's memory doesn't work that way. Let's say that she has sort of a standard forgetting curve. And Malini somehow, because I don't know, perhaps she's a Cylon, her memory actually gets better after a year. Except for the fact that no, no, he's never actually get better. But, you know, I was trying to be ridiculous. Today is not my weekend. But you can see how it makes sense that, in fact, it would be an interaction, wouldn't it? You can't, it's not just an effective subject, it's an effect of what happens to you at this retention interval. That's an interaction. So we should have tau pi, which is some really lame ass fraternity. Aren't you happy we don't have fraternities here? Just asking. No, you don't really care because you've never been to a university with fraternities, have you? You have? 
Aren't you happy that we don't have him here? No? Okay, I thought you did this. Like, yeah, you were just doing this. I don't see very well, so I, you know. Mike. <laughs> see, again, I, I know you're not. I know this is probably what's happening. Much more sensible, actually, to assume that there's interaction. That's a sensible thing to say. Yeah, but I think that the, how memory is affected, it's a good question, but it seems to me that how retention level affects your memory at different retention levels is different than how it affects mine. Right? My forgetting curve is, is pretty, uh, for a lot of things, Um, so, I don't forget things very easily. Some people forget things very quickly. Right? And, in fact, most people do. That's the sensible way you should be wired. That's why I ended up being super. Um, so, even if you did test two of us a zillion times, I'm still going to have a pretty flat forgetting curve, flatter than most people. I don't totally remember everything. And yours is going to be much more normal at that point than most humans are programmed to properly. Believe me, every single day of my life, I think, oh, here's what that happened. Every day to me, I remember an anniversary of something bad that happened. That's not good. You might think, oh, it must be cool. No, it's not. But enough of my personal problems. So while we have a point that maybe on one day, maybe if we did one experiment, maybe I'm having a particularly bad day because it's the day that my bike was stolen when I was seven. So I don't remember stuff very well that day. And then other days it balances out my my normal sort of like and maybe you have a really good day and you've got a lot of caffeine and uh, you've got a really good night's sleep. And they're all, the list of words are just words that you have some real meaning for. So they're, they're, they're really good semantic processing. So you can use them your job like that. But typically it all happens at the end. That's true. But I'm talking about in general, we would expect a, within each person different variables to affect different people in different ways. Different variables shouldn't affect all people in exactly the same way. There is just the main effect of that variable. I'm not saying we should then stop doing science. It's all phenomenologically. Just look at the individual of shut. We can still make general statements. But we have to factor out the fact that how affects me, so then how it affects you, 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 etc. So that's why we have to interact with very good questions. Out. Our model changes. So out model. And that looks this. X equals U plus tau plus pi plus tau pi. 
And then we just keep cut that in between. Different things affect different people different ways. That's what that's what the is. It's interaction between treatments and, and subjects. No error? Right. right. No, it's we've actually exhausted the degree of proof. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's X equals U plus tau plus tau pi. In this kind of design, we can have explained all the variance. We don't have any leftover called error. We can't explain. It's all explainable. Exhausted the degrees of freedom. Where's the line? Because think about it. If in our design there, we had what was it? Um, three levels of retention interval and four subjects, right? <coughs> so if we have <coughs> so we had three levels of retention interval. I'm sorry, three degrees of freedom for that. So three levels, and for subjects, let's just do it that way. Subjects, we have four. So in total, we have 12. So that means we have 11 degrees of freedom, right? We have two degrees of freedom for retention interval, right? We have three degrees of freedom for subjects. For subjects by retention interval, which is an interaction, we have two times three is six. Two and three is five, and six is 11. There's nothing left. We can't, I get a little chill doing that. It's kind of, I, it, Yeah. Yeah. So this is, sure, this is retention interval. That's two degrees of freedom. Three is for subjects. Again, four subjects. And then subjects by retention interval is two times three. So it's six. We add those up. We get 11. There's only 12 observations. There's no more degrees of freedom. There's no more variance left. We don't have to have something that we, I always feel kind of funny calling it error because it's not error. It's stuff I can't explain. We actually can explain everything. We've exhausted the degrees of freedom. They're gone. So if we've exhausted the degrees of freedom, that means that we don't, we, we can't have something with no degrees of freedom in the end. If you want to make it happy, you just put plus zero at the end. That's something you want to do. Right, so we've got, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Why do you want to call it two times three? Because it's a subject by retention interval interaction. Oh. Right, so it's just n minus one times ROI. Big N is number of observations, little n is number of subjects. So now the degrees of freedom have been exhausted, the variance is exhausted, and I'm exhausted. No, I'm not. It seems like something to say. Doing pretty good, actually. Mass Effect comes out next week. It's the only way I can get through the fact that tomorrow I have to go to a Senate meeting. The whole time I'm just going to be sitting there thinking, Mass Effect comes out on Tuesday, and I'm going to save Earth, you know, by yelling at my TV, and that excites the hell out of me. That's for Chris as far as I can see that. We're just treating S subjects as another variable, because that's all it is. The numbers don't know where they come from. I know it may feel a little bit weird to say we've got that your level of human in this marine is one and Miranda's two and Mike's is three. If you want, we could call it 
Mooney and Maria and Mike, but it's just harder with the math with names. So we just go one, two, and three. They're just subject, or it's just a factor. It's just another variable. It's just another variable. So now we get, this is the design. Oh, look at that. Two, three, five, subject six, total 11. That's all we got. Y'all see why that happened? By the way, what's it mean if we use the word y'all? Y'all see why that happened? But the rest of the class, I'm going to talk like this. I'm going to do my, old, my impression of my old friend Jay Field. Who none, he taught none of you, but he was a business professor here. He was from New Orleans. He used to be six foot four, wore cowboy boots. Actually talked like that. Staff science, when we talk about business staff, he used, used to break into my classes, just come in sometimes and heckle me. And he'd do it like when I was teaching 2126 in a big room, so I couldn't, because yeah, I can't see. So he'd, sit, he'd be sitting at the back, and he'd be yelling out stuff. And then, I, of course, I knew it was him because he's the only person in the university to talk like this. That dog won't hunt, Dave. He never said that. More than one way to skew a pole cat. If you were sent stuff like this, this is the kind of thing you think you'd say. My Jay Field impression, ladies and gentlemen. So you see why this happened? You see this? So how the hell is this going to work? Because we always divide by mean square error, and there can't be mean square error enough because there's no mean square error because there's no error. It's not like, well, then we stop. There must be a way to do this, right? Our error term is actually the triggered by subject interaction. That's where error term is opinions. Notice that it had the same number of degrees of freedom as when we just had the, the first model, the unrealistic model, x equals u plus tau plus phi plus epsilon, the unrealistic model. When we had that model, we had six degrees of freedom in our example. Or mean square error. It's actually going to be the same. We're going to get six degrees. It's, it's, it's actually the way you calculate that's the same. Subjects are a random factor. Remember fixed factors and random factors? And all those weird expected values? And you thought, why am I teaching? Why is he teaching us about expected values of mean squares? Is he trying to make our lives difficult? Well, of course he is. You know, I like doing that. I think it's fun. I think this is the right Subjects are a random factor. So the expected values work out such that if we need the effect to divide the effect for treatment by something, it ends up being divided by subjects by triggering interaction. Technically, this is a mixed model. So that's why. This is me in 21, not my our version of 2126 at Western, like 281. Yeah, but why? 
eventually told by Dr. Burden, if you're going to come to the Hills School Board, stop asking me to write a blog. I write a toddler. I was a statistical toddler. And then when I found out all these things in the third year, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Now I know why. There was a reason I taught you all that crap. And, the, and I talked about mixed and uh, random factors and fixed factors. Because the fixed factor is going to be the treatment level. The random factor is the effect of subjects. And then you can say, Dave, you said it had to be randomly selected. Yeah, well, we know subjects aren't randomly selected. Hardly ever happens. But it's a hell of a lot closer to the fixed factor. And I do want to generalize about all people. Or all chickens. Or all whatever. Or all pine siskins. Or dark-eyed juncos. Or squirrel monkeys. Rats. I guess every oh pigeons. Did I mention pigeons? No, okay, yeah. yeah. Mike. I'm not sure if it was your last slide or your second slide. Because the attachment yeah. test versus the random input. Yeah, I mean and that's really the logic behind it. In fact, it's much closer to being a random factor than it is to being a fixed factor. It's that the only problem you're actually gonna think of any of the random factors is subjects. So if I sample four of them, it would still You're fine. Yeah. It still works out the map works out still works out. Yeah. Monte Carlo experiments, basically they did simulations of you know, millions of simulations after the Monte Carlo experiment. Showed that treating subjects as a fixed factor just doesn't work. It's much more accurate to treat them as a random factor. Even with horrible sampling problems. Yeah. With the, in fact, even with completely the opposite of random sampling. Yeah. Just like it works, we can deal with non-normal using binary, using zeros and ones. It works just fine. It's, it's amazing, actually, how robust these techniques are. Um, it's lovely that our universe works this way, <laughs> because if it didn't, we'd be in real trouble. We could probably fly or something to make up for it. Be no gravity. That's no gravity. I'm floating. I don't know how there'd be planets if there was no gravity. Don't, let's, don't overthink this. It's close as I'm ever going to come to dancing. At least that you're going to ever see. You gotta get a lot of liquor in you before I dance. So we just we don't test the subject factor. We don't, we're not gonna test the subject factor. Um, we're gonna test the treatment factor, of course, but not the subject factor. You mean we just leave it there hanging? The subject factor? Yes, we can't test the effect of these good subjects. We can't, there's, there's no error term for it. There's nothing available, right? There's no error term. There's nothing that we can say, oh, because uh, the mean square for subjects, the expected value is tau pi. And there's nothing we can look at that will divide that by it into tau. There's just nothing there. There's just no error term to correct the expected value of the mean square. So if there's nothing there, we can't do it. And frankly, who cares? What would be your big revelation found out that there was an effect of subjects. Oh, people are different. Ooh, call the Nobel Prize group. You just discovered that each human was individual. An individual, that is. Yeah, that's not really a big earth-shattering discovery. So even if we could test it, we wouldn't anyway because we wouldn't care. We don't test the subject effect. We just leave it there. But variance is Variance is our friend. Variance we've removed is our, is our best friend. 
and randomness. We like randomness too. Kind of makes you want to dance. <laughs> it's all it all kind of comes back. There's a way to do that. Um, so that's your second really good question today, Malik. There's, there's a way to do this, is to find out how much variance did we account for by looking at the subheads, right? By taking that out, what you can do is you can calculate something called eta squared. Who's the person that told me this? Well, I told people that are the greatest people on the street. But it's never come up in this class. It's a very good question. You could take the sum of squares, or the mean square, the sum of squares for um, subjects and divide by the sum of squares total, and that will give you a proportion of variance accounted for by subjects. Okay. Now you can do something called the eta square. Eta is another Greek letter. What does the eta look like? Um, like, like I can't remember. I can't remember. I'm not going to find that. No, I'm not have to find out because it's going it's to make me nuts. And I, I, I don't want to stop the recording because I don't have my uh, I don't have card thing. Here. Okay. Yes, sir. Ada, Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. Well, it's kind of neat that you can say, oh, look, by doing the repeated measures, I took out 20% of the variance. It's, some, it's more of an exploratory data analysis technique. It's just it's something to look at and go, oh, wow, well, it was worth testing the same people and inconveniencing them for what, five minutes, one hour, and 24 hours. Yeah, it's something you would do yourself. Like you, you would never. Yeah. You would rarely report an eta squared for subjects. You might do it for um, overall, for overall effect size kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think the capital eta. I remember that wasn't an H, was it? Yep. The capital eta it looks just like R H. It's all Greek to me. <laughs> Very confusing learning statistics in Greece because it's probably, you know, like a T test is probably like called a cow test, and it's probably, you know, and then they got their own, they mess, screw them right up. I don't know, maybe it doesn't. Or maybe they use regular, like Latin, regular letters, you know, peace loving, free thinking letters, Roman letters, Latin letters, and then for all their algebra, and then one day they get the statistics, look, it's our letters, and they're all happy. Why do I even worry about these things? This is the kind, this is how my mind works. It's kind of frightening. Usually, except in class, I keep this stuff to myself. In class, you guys have to be here so I can just say whatever the hell I want. But at home, these things go through my head all the time. And over the 23 years Isabel and I have been together, I've learned that she doesn't really care about these things. <laughs> Which is sensible. Please, don't misunderstand me. She's being completely sensible. Um, so I get this outlet where I get to tell stuff like that to you guys. Or to Dwayne, because he'll just sit there and listen. Because he's a good guy. 
Questions so far? Pretty neat, though, I think, eh? You know, it makes some sense. Okay, now, remember the matched pairs and correlated t-test? It's like it's the dependent sample t-test, we got matched pairs. So we got one group, um, sorry, we got before and after, it would be the same thing as the, the dependent. But what if we've matched subjects on some variable? So the one we used before uh, and after, or when you match pairs of subjects or whatever. Subjects usually matched on the dependent variable. But instead of it being repeated measures in the same person here, I'm talking about it's, we're, we're treating each subject as, like if, if, our, if, if it was something about, uh, I don't know, blood pressure, you know, it's usually physiological. That's a very common one. So it's blood pressure medication, and we find three people that have exactly the same blood pressure. Right? So um, it's going to be Marcy and me. Everybody here has a name that starts with M. Uh, Marcy and me. Marcy, me, and Mike have, turns out we all have the same blood pressure, which I find hard to believe. But let's uh, say we do. And they give us a blood pressure medication. They're going to give you uh, a placebo. They're going to give me uh, the experimental drug that will really change the world. And then me and Mike set the program on the market. And they're going to test where three of us kind of like we're the same person, even though we're not. We've been matched on blood pressure. So we're matching us on the, on the dependent variable, the three of us. Before you can always do it with two, you know about the correlated sample or repeated measures t-test, same idea. So we're just going to do the same thing. With, I did it with ANOVA here. I said ANOVA because of the three, three groups, not just two, right? Not just, say, placebo and new wonder drug. What we need is here is called homogeneity of experimental units. In other words, we have to be all the same. Within each, where we're going to call it, we would be a block. And within each block, the variance through the subjects has to be the same. So basically, in other words, we have to, when we're matched, we have to have been matched. That's basically what that says, homogeneity of experimental units. This can be achieved in a few ways. Uh, we could use litter mates. So if you're doing animal experiments and you got like rat litters of like three, that's pretty good. Same genetics, same environment, they're, they're pretty much the same subject. I can use match pairs, uh, twins or triplets or octomoms kids. Remember octomom? I've already got five kids, so I thought I'd take fertility drugs. There should be a license you have to get to have a child. I think, I really, I actually think that, it occurs to me. Oh, that'll be fun. That's, my, that's one of my dumb guy voices. Is suddenly making. Yeah. Oh, I'll have eight more kids. Okay, so, well, from the time I'm five months pregnant on, I really can't move. I've got to lie down. Eight. I had a friend who had twins, and she was about that big. Imagine eight. Well, we need a whole basketball team starting in a lineup, so... And what kind of doctor says, oh, yeah, you probably should get some fertility drugs? You've got all these kids. People are idiots. You've got to
got to remember, half the people you meet have an IQ under 100. Right? IQ is normally distributed. Ah, see, I brought it back to statistics. Normally distributed with a mean of 100, and it's, it's, it's unimodal, and it's symmetrical. It means half the people you meet have an IQ under 100. Many of them are at the station mall right now. <laughs> no, you go to the mall in the morning, let's face it. You know? No, because I'll be there on Tuesday to get mass attack right in the morning as soon as it comes out. And there'll be a lot of people walking around and go, wow, how do you learn this? How did you learn to put your pants on? How do you, how do you remember to put socks on in the morning? You know? I'm not saying I'm superior. Well, we're all superior intelligent people. Anyway. So we'll call this variable we block on, it's a nuisance variable. Oh, it's a nuisance. It's such a nuisance. Well, it's a nuisance variable. Well, let me say it. It's such a nuisance. You're so bold. I mean, it doesn't sound like that at all, but what you didn't used to say I was a nuisance. Um, can I be raising you? It must have been hell. My mother's a saint. Every woman in my life, I don't know how they've ever dealt with me. I wake up every morning and go, oh, she's still here. Yes. <laughs> Um, not my mom, <laughs> Isabel. <laughs> my mom was far away, London. It's a nuisance because, look, it would be a real pain, right? If we're talking about blood pressure, it'd be a real pain if we had all these very crazy blood pressures. It's actually variants we don't want. And the nice thing is we can measure them. Right? It'd be great if we could get all rid of all that sort of nuisance variants, but we can't. But there are times when we can't. There are times when we can do this. So why not do it, right? This reduces error. It's going to give us power. We like power. Right? Error comes back in. You'll see why in a second. The structural model here is actually pretty much the same, and you should have guessed this. The structural model the analysis variance here is going to be pretty much the same as the, the one for repeated measures. Repeated measures, in fact, is a special case of a randomized block design. The thing is, it's easier to talk about repeated measures than randomized blocks first. So that's why I did it in that order. I think the book does it in that order as well. So here we have our model x equals mu plus tau plus pi plus epsilon. Oh, that looks exactly like the original design, right? The original model. And you're going to say, well, we don't have with that tau pi thing go, well, we can't really have that because we don't really have the same people. So we just have to view blocks. This is the effect of blocks. We have to view that as an effect. So it's mean score equals the brand mean plus the treatment plus the block effect plus what's called in this case, we don't call it error anymore, we call it residual. It's what's left over. Bold. There's such a card. Oh, he's a character. She, again, she sounds nothing like that, but she does say those things. She doesn't say, I'm so bold anymore, or don't be saucy. I'm 46 years old. Yeah, you're so saucy. I never understood that expression. Is it me? I got a lot of, like, what is sauce? 
Yes, I'm very good at making sauce, Mom. Thank you. It's the kind of thing I would have said, too, which would have been saucy, really, when you think about it. Not so much me. My brother would have said something like that. The other professor brought back the one that never finished high school. Funny, apparently. You can just die. Anyway. We're threatening to write a paper together. We don't know what on yet, but it would just be fun to write a paper together. Something about making jokes in class. We figure we could publish anything in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an educational psychology journal, just like a little thing, a little monograph. Jokes is funny. That'd be about it. Here are the assumptions. The sum of the group of x equals zero. You've seen that before. The effect of blocks is normal. They're independent of each other, has a mean of zero, and a variance of sigma squared of some class. So our block, this is our block here, uh, and the block here, and the block over here, uh, the effect of those together would be zero, it would be normally distributed, and it would have a variance of the residual will be the same thing. And you've, you've seen that before, too. All I've done here is I've thrown in a new one. That's all I've done. Okay? Normally dependent means zero variance of sigma squared sub epsilon. So those aren't really surprising assumptions. It shouldn't be. This is important. Error is independent of, sigma, of, of pi. So the residual, we don't know, knowing what block you're in doesn't tell us how much residual there is. And there are also, if you've noticed in the model, there is no tau by pi interaction. In other words, there's no block by treatment interaction. It's not actually something we can measure. See, we can do it when it's the same person. We, we totally can do that because we know every single variable is exactly the same within that person. Within a block, we just know that we're the same on blood pressure. We can't say that it's going to always affect us exactly the same way. We, we probably can, but we really shouldn't. That's why it's not in the model. That's why there's no tau pi anymore. So there's no tau epsilon, or sorry, pi epsilon interaction. In other words, no, the error is independent pi of, of, of the block you're in, and also there's no interaction between treatment and block. We actually can't measure it. Yeah, Christine? Normal and independent. Somebody else, I think, wanted to ask a question? I thought I heard something. No? Anyone? No? Okay. Now, if there isn't, what if there is an interaction? Well, you, first of all, you can't know. You can't really know because there is no way to do the math. There is no way to actually calculate. The, I'll tell you in a second. There's a, there's a way you can do it. If you test each block, if you have more than one subject within each treatment effect within each block, so if there were two, so you got and then us two, and you two, we could do it. But that would be the only way, yeah, you could do it that way. Well, if there is an interaction between tau and pi, there's only one place it can go. 
because we have tau, we have mu, it can't go there. That's a constant. Uh, we have tau, well, it can't, why would it go there? It can't go to pi. The only place it can go is stuff we have leftover stuff. It goes to epsilon. It makes error bigger. So really, it actually isn't that big a problem, because if you do the analysis and you find an effect, a significant effect, you say, well, that's OK. Maybe there was an interaction, but it wasn't enough that it made us, uh, that it made us not find the effect that was actually there. So basically, all that happens is you lose power if there's an interaction between treatment and block. And in fact, as I said, there's really no practical way of finding out. So the, just don't have any interactions, and you'll be fine. Of course, they say, Dave, well, I can't tell. I know. With great power comes great responsibilities. You excited about the new Spider-Man movie? Anybody? Rebooting the Spider-Man franchise? They just reboot movies now every couple of years, don't they? Yeah, because the other Spider-Man movie, last one came out, like, what, three years ago? Ah, it's no good anymore. I reboot it. Did it with Batman. I want to see a really dark reboot of another TV series, you know, like with Edward, do you have Edward James almost from Battlestar Galactica? It would be like Survivor, but they have to kill and eat each other. And I think they start by killing and eating that Jeff Probst guy, the host. What do you think? No? Too dark? A little dark for you? Okay. It wouldn't be real. Well, if it was on Fox, it probably would be, unlike, say, their news. Um, so if we have an example here, we have uh, different methods of, of uh, teaching. That's my example. Of teaching French, teaching a language. Okay? Now, in this case, you would say, you know what would be something that we would care about would be previous experience with French. Some people have none. Right? I know that you're supposed to have taken French all the way through school. But my wife teaches the intro of French. And she I walk by that classroom sometimes, and she's teaching people colors and how to count. And the people that are screwing up, yeah, some people somehow just they just get away. Then there's the people that have the sort of standard high school French that I think most of us live there, right? And then there's people that you know are francophones, right? We're taking that course as like this is always the subject. Well, you're going to be really bored. There's three ways we could teach the French, maybe, right? So we could teach it as a, uh, a standard sort of approach where, like, remember when you learned French uh, in school and they would just have you conjugate verbs? Well, this is why some of these people get their English French class and they actually can't speak French because they should be able to speak even the French. Because they all just, all your assignments were all like this Je suis, tu es, il est, nous sommes, vous That's not really, you're not going to learn the language that way, are you? And then there's, so maybe, that's your experience. So we can have that model. We can have a very interact, uh, interactive model where you're, this is what this model she does, where she makes people actually speak. And then we can have something where, uh, I don't know, let's throw let's make something a little more complicated. Oh, an interactive model, and uh, we'll use the root of all evil, worse than Hitler, the block plan. I'm being sarcastic. So that's what we would expect, in fact, that we would, there's a nuisance variable for you. Previous experience with French. That's certainly going to be a nuisance variable. Because if you're already good at French, it's not really going to matter much. So I made up these data. 
and we get the graph. And we look at it. And when you look at that, do you see the interaction between treatment and block? This is block. And these are treatments. Yes. The effect of treatment depends upon the block. So in that case, what do you do? Um, you hope you find some difference. Because if you don't, you guys need to experiment. So you hope you find some difference. If the line is crossed, for example, you just say, I can't use random blocks. There are other statistical methods you can use. That's a very loud fan. Sounds like the original Xbox 360. <laughs> Everybody knows I'm playing a game on the street. You could have more than one repeated variable. You could make a, this is a two by three. Look, it's all the same subject. Why not? In fact, I've done this experiment. Yeah, a little more complicated than that, but similar to that, that kind of design. So you're just going to test the same people, uh, both an implicit and an explicit memory task, with a five-minute, one-hour, and 24-hour retention interval. So you can do that. So what would the model be here? Well, actually, it would be x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus pi plus alpha pi plus beta pi plus alpha beta pi. Pi is the effect of That sound like <laughs> so loud. Maybe it's sucking the air out of here. That'd be bad. Huh? I can't breathe. <laughs> and then we all collapse. And then there's a horrible sound. And everybody does this. The Star Trek thing was a loud sound. It doesn't affect Spock, and somehow it doesn't affect Kirk. Must activate auto destruct sequence. There's lots of terms here, as you can see. And there's lots of them with um, pi in them. And when they hit a pi, they were error terms, right? Remember how times pi was our error term? So, what is the error term? How will we know what to test what with what? Are we going to have to work out expected values of mean squares for all of these? No. You could go, go nuts. If you really like math at that kind of level, you like to take in math. By the way, if you actually do ever come up with a design where you, you go to graduate school, this might happen. A really good graduate level textbook will have a, a, a set of um, algorithms at the back that'll show you how to make the expected values of mean squares. But the nice thing is you typically don't have to do this. Because there's magic. Works like this. We're going to assume there's 10 subjects for group. The first thing you do is you list subjects. Retention interval. Now we're just going to pick the first within subject variable, within subject group. 
Now what I've done is I've crossed intention interval by subject. See that? Stay close. Okay. Now, memory test type, M. M by S. M by RI. M by S by RI. Done. How do I know what the test was like? Well, we're not going to test subjects. We know that's not interesting. How do we test retention interval? Will be tested with subjects by retention interval. Memory test will be, test by, will be tested with memory test by subjects. And memory test by retention interval will be tested with that three-way interaction of memory test, retention interval, and subjects. All you do is you do it this way. You list subjects, then first between factors you see, and then cross it with subjects, and then list the next one and cross it with everything above it. Give you a list of all of the effects you're interested in and all the errors. So you just look for the one below it that has subjects and whatever it is. Memory, memory by subjects. Memory by retention interval, memory retention interval, and subjects. The one below it that has subjects will be your error. Advanced.
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.